Hey there, you got Jeff. I've got about 15 seconds before my dog barks again, so I'll make this quick. If you're looking to connect with other customer success leaders who are trying to operationalize customer success in their companies, come over to gaingrowretain.com and join now. Welcome to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. Thanks for joining us again. Third uh, CS Leadership Office Hours. I wanted to give a big shout out to the guys at Slido. Um, and we're going to be using Slido, uh, like we just mentioned, to sort of help us sort and prioritize the topics we want to go through. Um, they, like many are doing, they, they upgraded our account for free there um, so that we could uh, use it to engage with the community. So big shout out to them. Their CEO, Peter Komornik, and uh, VP of Customer Success, Joe Massey, actually she was doing her thing and corrected me, showed me how to use something earlier this week, which I thought was really cool. So uh, big shout out to those guys. I, um, it seems like a very cool tool and we're, we're liking it so far. Um, and then the third thing I'll, I'll drop here real quick is that we're taking all these recordings and we're releasing them on our podcast channel, which is Gain, Grow, Retain. You can find it on Apple or uh, Stitcher, whatever you, Spotify, whatever you use for your podcasts. So if you can't find the link or, or whatnot, you can always uh, find the recordings of, of these meetings on there. Um, so that's it. Um, I think we're going to jump into the topics uh, that are that are queued up here for us now. Uh, Jeff's sharing that on the screen. So this is Slido and, and you can continue to add topics to this. We'll create a new room for next week's meeting. Um, and so some of these topics I'm sure we'll want to roll over to next week. But um, the first topic uh, that sort of made it to the top of the list here is um, how has customer engagement changed? Are more companies now considering a wider scale uh, tech touch approach and how is uh, workload being divided amongst the team? So uh, I think it's a really good question. If anybody wants to jump in and go ahead and start talking about this um, and w what your company is doing, we'd love to hear uh, to have somebody start us off on that one. The, the pretty much the only difference is we're no longer flying out to meet the customers. So we have a lot of virtual meetings, but other than that, it's following the same game plan as we did before. Um, and our customers, I mean, they're, they're remote anyway, so it doesn't make sense for them to be on site, right? Even if customers, because, you know, they're not meeting at their offices anymore. So having a virtual meeting just makes better sense for all of them. But um, that's the only change we've made uh, during this period of time. Yeah. Hi, guys. This is Elizabeth from Glassbox. Um, in terms of like engagement, I would say that we're not doing tech touch. We're pretty much high touch um, even before what this uh, pandemic. But um, we're actually doing more, uh, even more higher touch, I would say, where we're looking at how can we be helping the customer and we're reaching out even more just to be helpful. Um, you know, a lot of times when I talk to customers right now, the conversation starts on how they're doing. Um, some, of, some of our customers are parents, so they're going through, a, you know, adjustments that, you know, working remotely and being a parent. And some of them have school age kids and, you know, it's tough. I, I, I count myself in that bucket because I also have kids at home that are doing remote learning. So it's where, if anything, we're approaching them more and to see how we can help. And we, that's actually helping us engage even more at a different level, a more human level. And we're working really closely now more than ever, I would say. I'll just kind of pile on to that. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Sure. So um, I'm with a company called Integrate and, you know, we, we're actually look. We're in a much different um, place, but we're actually looking to put in a tech touch model in our Mia business, um, specifically because we have a large customer base um, with under 
I don't know, under 10,000 ARR, but it's highly impacted by COVID because it's an event lead management platform and software. So um, it actually put a pause on our commercial um, tech touch engagement uh, for a minute because we did find that like Elizabeth had mentioned, we needed to lean in and, and be more present. So um, a little bit of a different uh, angle from our side, just because that's our biggest customer base that's being affected at this point. Do you feel like there's um, just to maybe add a question there and um, understand if you don't want necessarily want to answer because it might, uh, I don't know, it might be uncomfortable, but I guess, do you feel like right now to the management teams are okay with sacrificing efficiencies that you would get from a tech touch? Like is everyone uh, from the management layer, like understanding that, Hey, we're going to sacrifice inefficiencies now because we're not going to have some of these tech touch and enable like software enabled strategies and we're going to be more human driven. So it's going to, you know, theoretically take us more time. It's going to take us more resources to do it. Uh, do you feel like, I guess that was a discussion you guys had or a decision you made and everyone is on, on board with doing that in the short term because they think it's going to lead to higher retention in the long term? Yeah, so that's a great question. We did have those conversations and we actually looked at that customer base and then segmented them further. So we said, okay, which ones are 100% on fire right now? Um, and which ones do we think... Um, you know, we segmented that com that commercial business and have div like divided our teams to align to those sub segments. Um, and then, you know, we just basically put the broader program on pause, um, but we still have um, our education and um, enablement teams kind of working with us to provide resources at scale. If that, so it's kind of like this hybrid model that we're in right now. Um, if the, I hope that addresses your question. It's still yeah. very much in motion. <laughs> yep. No, it does. I, I was just curious if you, it sounds like you guys had the discussion. Like I think, um, you know, I, I'm really curious during this time as to, uh, I guess, like a lot of the, the management layer and, and from the executive side of things is they're thinking about the business strategy and they're thinking about, you know, what is, what is the outlook of our business look like in 2020 and how that kind of has the downstream effects. And so I, I, that's why I was just curious. It sounds like you guys had that discussion and everyone's on the same page, like you said, of, Hey, we're going to, we're going to kind of go with the hybrid right now because we understand we've segmented the customers. We understand in the short term what that's going to cost us, but in the long term, hopefully that develops deeper relationships. And that gives us, uh, I think as David Ellen said last week, it gives us, you know, a leg up in the sense that, hey, we're, we're being proactive with our customers. We're reaching out. We're showing this partnership. And hopefully it's going to pay off down the line in terms of uh, higher retention. So it did answer. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry, Dave, I think I cut you off last time. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, I think uh, so from, uh, from our perspective, first of all, uh, I see the same level of engagement. So uh, I'm looking at engagement and on our KPI, which is uh, generating indications for value. Uh, so I see for March. Uh, actually a little bit higher than February and January. And uh, on uh, new engagement, uh, this is actually something that we're now uh, doing. We are looking at uh, our customers that will be affected from our, that are affected from COVID-19. And we think what are different approaches that they can do with our product and then think about that offering. And actually we are now uh, packaging that, that offering uh, and going to try to push uh, that to customers. Part of it is is uh, in our product, and part of it is just thinking creatively with customers uh, for for them uh, maybe to uh, get uh, the most out of it. Uh, just one one example is the in the aviation uh, industry, uh, going and speaking with our uh, with our airline customers, and then what can they do in their loyalty programs? What can they do in uh, being very 
so I think I, I saw again not our customer, but one one thing that uh, got my attention this week is Open Table. So no one is now booking restaurants, but they change the product and now they are, are helping you get to book a supermarket uh, uh, time. So I think that's that's great, and this is we need to to be creative and help our customers. If we'll be uh, successful in that, then they will remember that. If I can, this is Nate uh, with Upspring. If I can maybe just add something zooming out of sort of COVID, I know that's really uh, like kind of what's on top of mind for everyone, but um, it's something I, I did see sort of before this is uh, looking at, at engagement strategy um, more as uh, from an LTV perspective. Um, and I think there's some objective and quantifiable measures of this. Um, so like how many, is there growth potential? Is it a larger company? Are they growing? Are they getting funding? Uh, these types of things. Um, but some of this is also subjective. So like if you have a smaller client, um, but they're getting deep into the weeds on strategy with CSMs, um, they're probably going to be a good client to grow with unless there's some externality. Um, so I, yeah, I guess the trend I've been seeing is some more agile segmentation um, where CSMs do have a little more leeway um, in, in how they might spend their time. Yeah, it, it, coming back to the the topic of, of engagement in in tech touch in general, my sense is that right now everybody is is trying to communicate in a more personal way. So maybe the idea of tech touch being a way for us to improve our efficiency is maybe not the way to be thinking about it right now. But how can we generate more personal communication through the tech touch tooling and whatnot that we have? Uh, so how do we generate more meaningful conversations? I think is how I've been thinking about this because I don't know that right now is a time to, to try to automate everything, you know, from a, from a pure efficiency perspective either. I think it's, so it's a bit situational. Um, I mean, Marco from zoom and, you know, we already had a really well established tech touch process, um, you know, with, with tiers already kind of layered in specific messaging, what it showed us with what's going on now in the volume we're seeing is we had to increase it. We had to go the other route and, you know, level up into the MRR bands that we were doing. But it also, it was really telling around a lot of gaps that we had in the process of the messaging, what wasn't really clear, what was driving specific engagements that we couldn't really support anymore. So, you know, more poignant, more timely, more frequent, and more pointed direction around the messaging is what we've really had to dig into right now with our messaging around it. Jay, this is David Allen. I'll go back to the question, the, the comment that you made before about not automating with some of the lower touch with the, with the tech touch customers. I think there's a lot of things we can learn in today's world from our lower value customers that we could apply to our higher value customers. And while you don't want to open up a high touch at a high touch model to all of your lower lower value customers, I would select a couple that are particularly challenged in the COVID environment today. Let's see if we can get closer to them. Let's see what we can learn from them and then apply those to the rest of the customer base. Marco, uh, if you don't mind, I'd, uh, maybe a follow-up question for you. As, you. as you're going through that process, like you mentioned, kind of, I guess, almost having to double in or double down on uh, the tech touch and, and thinking about how you make that more effective and um, kind of getting that loop, how are you guys from maybe like an operational cadence or execution cadence, like how are you guys, um, maybe from like a customer success manager perspective, like how are you guys kind of feeding back into like what messaging is going out? Is that, and is the content being driven from customer success or is it a shared, you know, shared with marketing responsibility? I'm just kind of curious how you guys are thinking about closing that loop and making sure, like you said, to keep the content timely and, and relevant 
I'm sure you're using metrics, but I'm just curious if you're also using kind of the connections that your CSMs have already with the, the customers to inform that as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a mix of a combination between marketing and CS. So on my team, I actually have uh, the customer communications lead. So um, we kind of own, we, we will 100% own all the messaging around onboarding and moving a customer through the process. Um, and when we try to drive engagements back to the CSM based on specific call to actions that we put in there. Um, and then seeing like where a CSM might be in the life cycle with them and where the customer might be. Outside of that, there is definitely a joint, um, there's a, a joint communication plan around updates. And I'm sure if you guys are Zoom customers or just on the platform, you're seeing lots of them lately um, and, and pretty frequently. So there's, there's a worry right now of things getting lost in the noise and unfortunately maybe seeming spammy, but we're, we know anything and any, everything that is important right now, we are making sure to over communicate. It's, you know, we're, cho we're choosing the path of over communicating each step versus, you know, we'll send one blast a week type of thing. It's, it's important. It's information people need. It's changes that we're making. So we're making sure to push that out. Hey guys, this is Boaz. Maybe um, one thing that I hear from a number of speakers here and I hear from other people I talk to, we, we definitely put it into our kind of psyche right now is the, the balance between efficiency, productivity, and emotional effectiveness needs to change in these troubled times, right? People are, whether they acknowledge it or not, whether it's conscious or, or, or behind their brains, are more scared or more antsy. Uh, for many, right, we serve, you know, restaurants and coffees, right? The, the threat of the current environment situation is literally existential. Um, this is a, a, an opportune time to build stronger relations with customers if you truly, like Ellen said before, invest a little bit more in the emotional side of things and wave a little bit of the productivity, wave a little bit the efficiency, we'll get back to it later. But if you hear the, the companies who are making the right waves from a PR perspective are those who give away, are those who change their production lines from shirts to masks, which they may or may not get money for, but it's doing good for the environment, it's doing, doing good for the community, it will pay back and for a short period of time, a month or two, in the big scheme of things of what this world is going through right now, these are probably the right things, both from an external PR perspective, as well as internal team morale and cohesiveness, right? Um, so I think it's, even if you put aside the, you know, low touch, high touch, tech touch, you know, these are all mechanisms of efficiency for us to manage our, our workforce, right? If you put it aside and you think about what do customers really need right now, they need the high value features that make them more successful in near term. And we should prioritize and give away many of those to, to help them stay alive and productive. And our people need the extra attention on the value side of things, the morale side of things, the, the cohesiveness of, of the team that will help us get over this hump and then you know, climb from them on. I don't know mm -hmm. if that's helpful, but. Yeah. One thing I would add is that the um, with all these changes, there's people within our accounts that are no longer there because they've been for law, they've been um, you know all let go, and there's new people that have to maybe use our products where they never used to before. So, and you might not know that if you're not working really closely with them. So, understanding that and being prepared to provide that support that people will need really, really fast, and maybe it's challenging us to we look at our onboarding process and like how can we help get value really quickly? Um, just because our customers internally, they're, they're going through a lot of reorgs. Um, people are changing jobs, are having to do things that they never did. So how can they use our products in the best way for what they want to do right now? And how can it be most effective with the time that they have to even learn a new tool, right? 
maybe just one other point uh, on, on this. So I think one of the things we've seen is, is as well, like during these times, uh, is that CS is sort of seen as transactional. Um, and, you know, if, if we have like really data-driven segmentation strategies, it, it might move some metric. Um, but then we have to ask like how, how strategic are our CSMs uh, getting um, with our customers uh, versus I, I think if we do engage more on that sort of emotional level and with folks really interested in, in you know, getting into the weeds on strategy again, um, then we're really building a lot of human capital. So I, I'm just curious on the executive level, like how that would impact sort of the psychology of maybe a furlough or a layoff. If you're not, you know, you're not just firing butts and seats, but you're firing someone who's like really uh, like a, a product or industry expert. Yeah, I don't know if anybody has a specific answer to that question. I think it's a good one. And I uh, let me dovetail it into the next topic as well, because I think what what we're all talking about here is changing the engagement model. And so how do you measure that? And so are, are, is anybody putting, what, what in what ways are you changing your the metrics that you're looking at? In some ways, I think they've never changed, right? They shouldn't change. I think, you know, if I look at Ziv up here in the corner, it's always about relationships to some degree, and he's really good at measuring them. But are, are you all putting metrics in place or measurement techniques in place that are moving toward the leading indicators that will set us up for success in 2021? How are you thinking about that? So I'll go. This is Christy Feltruso with IntelliShift. Um, you know, one of the things that we did recently and kind of dovetailing off of our last part of the conversation is that we released a new product that was specific um, to helping customers during this time. So for example, we, we service, uh, we provide industrial IoT. So for organizations that have large fleets, our solution helps them drive their operational efficiency for all things about their vehicles and, and connected assets. So one of the things that we had to be cognizant of is that there are still companies and organizations that are operating, right? There's probably now more need than ever for logistics and vehicles transporting goods. Um, and our organizations, our customers need to make sure that they're keeping their vehicles very clean to follow with compliance, right, and protecting their operators. So we actually rolled out a new product, um, which is part of a policy that is, in, in fact, deployed already, which is called EDVIR. It's the ability and need to inspect your vehicles before you get in them. So anybody who's driving a truck, you have to go check, make sure the taillights are working, that the brakes work, right? You have to do this inspection beforehand. But what we did is we took that product and we actually created a new template in it that would allow them to the, the owners of the company to create a checklist that says, did you sanitize your vehicle? So before you got in, like, were the, you know, did, was everything wiped down? Was it cleaned? Right? Like, so there's certain things that they now have to do to stay compliant with protecting their operators, right? Are there masks in the car? Are there gloves in the car? Have things been clean and sanitized? So we have created that now and a mobile app for it so that organizations can really quickly start to adopt that. And you don't need to have any other part of our product connected to leverage it. So we've created a standalone solution outside of our enterprise product so they can do that. Um, so going back to the metrics that we're tracking, one of the things that we did is, one, did we enable all of our customers that this is now available for them? We're also deploying it at no charge for 60 days. Um, we may possibly extend that, but we wanted to at least make sure we've covered our bases for a period of time. Um, so creating a product that that would be obviously helping them during this time, doing it at no cost, um, making sure that we had enablement programs so that all of our customers were notified about this product deployment. Um, they knew how to use it. We've launched, um, which is going live this, I'm sorry, this coming week is a webinar on how to maximize the value of it, how to create an organizational policy around it. So the metrics that we're looking at are now customers. Are they downloading the app? Are they using this product? How are they using it? Collecting feedback from it on how is it working? Are they finding you know good adoption with it? Is it meeting their needs? 
Um, and we're also making a lot of concessions uh, with our customers around pricing and what their spends are. So we've got a lot of customers also that have been put out. If you can think of like limo, transportation, school buses, all of those verticals and industries, they're not operating. For a lot of these companies, especially smaller ones, if you're a local limousine company, they've actually taken their vehicles off the road. They've surrendered their plates so they're not paying insurance. They're trying to reduce costs as much as possible. So our company also put a policy in place that for companies or industries or verticals heavily impacted by this, we are allowing them out of their contracts at no cost with no ETFs. Um, we're also reducing prices. So if they want to suspend their their pricing for a period of time, we're giving them 60 days to suspend at a very, very nominal cost just to keep the lights on because there is a cost associated with us keeping certain things on. Um, and then we're also looking, so we're tracking all the metrics around that, what concessions do we make, who or what customers now are on this new model, what is the revenue loss to us? So we're looking at different revenue metrics than we had before. Um, and then the third thing that we're looking at outside of the product and the revenue um, changes is also around engagement. So looking more strategically at customers we have not connected with in the past 21 days, and we've got very strategic campaigns around that where it's not an automated outreach. It is really much, you know, all of our team. It is our executives. It's our technical support onboarding. We're using all of our resources cross-functionally to kind of go off script and really engage um, all of our customers. So it's all hands on deck and making sure that there was a personal touch to all customers to the best of our ability. We've got 3,000. So we know that there is definitely a long tail that we're, we're not going to be able to get to, but we're hoping that the other accommodations that we're making with product and pricing help show our, our commitment to the partnership. Hey, Christy, this is David Allen. There's a byproduct to what you're doing, too. You're helping your customers drive employee engagement and employee loyalty. That's going to go a long way for them when, when things recover and people are out there thinking about new jobs. I heard on yeah. the news last week that Instacart drivers were thinking about going on strike because they felt like their company wasn't taking care of them by telling them how to clean their cars, giving them masks and things like that. You're doing exactly that, and you're really going to help those customers drive loyalty with their employees. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a great point. And we, we are hoping that there is, like, major residual impact in a positive way for our customers and then, you know, anybody who benefits long term. But it's um, we're trying to do as much as we can to make changes quickly, as I'm sure all of our organizations are. I think the big thing for us is making sure that our company is in a, a good financial place to, to make the accommodations that we're making, especially with the, the price you know, adjustments that we're making for a lot of our customers. I can jump in here. This is Eric Insemo from Built-In. And we actually, we do recruitment marketing and employer branding. So it's a pretty interesting space to be in right now from a customer success perspective when a great deal of our customers have hiring freezes, some of our customers are going through layoffs, um, but there are some customers where it's business as usual. And because we sit, we do specifically tech recruitment. So it's a really niche market, but a really powerful one. And we basically overnight rolled out the United We Tech campaign to open up our platform for stories for people to start telling their stories like Christy basically kind of like the story that you just told of like how tech companies are evolving and innovating at this time to help each other and we're allowing any customer typically it's paid content that customers need to be in with us but we're allowing customers and prospects to submit to tell their story and it does two things one um, it allows people to get good news during this time which is I think super valuable and give some goodwill. Um, and additionally, it allows customers to feature some of the employees that are really strong on their teams because the fear is that in some of these smaller tech companies who actually aren't going to go through layoffs necessarily because the business is healthy, but people are scared of working for small companies because they're worried that they're going to be impacted. So there's a concern that attrition is going to be much higher. So the idea is that it increases employee engagement by featuring some of those really top employees in some of these great stories. So we launched the campaign essentially overnight with a letter from our CEO. And I think that has been um, one of the most impactful things we've been able to do for our customers 
and we're measuring it based off of engagement. So on the prospect side, we're measuring it based off of actually like meetings set, um, based off of people who are in, uh, participating in this, and on the customer success side, based off of the number of customers who have submitted this. And then it gives us a lead in to have a phone conversation and actually talk to them about what their needs are right now, which is obviously when you work in the recruitment space, the needs conversation is much more um, layered than it might be in other places right now because the talent market changed overnight. So that's kind of what we're doing um, as a give back, not just to our customers, but to the entire tech community because tech is in a very unique position to actually um, be able to change, change the world right now. It sounds cheesy, but it's true. Yeah, I think I think that's such an important thing. Like in in companies where literally our business has dropped off, if we can afford to continue engaging that market, like that that provides value, and you may not get an immediate return on it, but having that engagement is going to benefit in the long run. So it's cool how you're measuring that. Does anybody else have any comments around metrics and um, maybe how you've how you've adjusted yours? So. Um, I can jump in here. Um, my name is John. I work for a behavioral health uh, technology company called Neuroflow. So we're like literally in the epitome of everything happening right now, including but not limited to offering um, like a free COVID testing screening site. Um, so it helps people with the impact on like the resources for healthcare providers. That's like what that means to flatten the curve. And we're also on the mental health side of that, which like um, I, I don't, I know you're just talking about how like it might be corny or cheesy, but like, it's not like, this is like really what every single person is looking for right now. Um, and so like really trying to balance that out our metrics, um, Jay, I think you said that in the beginning, they have not changed because the things that are important for our healthcare providers are not less important now when they're trying to keep the lights on. Um, a part of our value is in the financial reimbursement part for being able to generate and integrate behavioral health into just like regular doctor's appointments because like physical and mental health are linked in case that was like something I needed to state in the group here, which I know I definitely don't. But um, so like they're struggling and like we're seeing a pretty um, significant bifurcation of our customers, whether they're in our SMB or enterprise, where they're trying to decide how to continue their business and they've had to lay off pretty significant people. And then so you start to see um, a good group of customers who basically are like, I can't talk to you right now because I'm just trying to figure out how to like get through my day to day. And then you have another group of customers where like the profile and the characteristics are almost the same, but they're like, we know that there's a need for this. So for us, the metrics definitely have not changed. The things that have changed and how we implement and make sure that our CSMs are still effective are things like remote implementations. Obviously we will not be going on site for a lot of those. Um, but at the same time, like how do we adjust those so that maybe the, um, like one of the metrics we were measuring were like kickoff to go live time, right? Like we all know onboarding is like make or break. That has been reduced from like, let's see if we can do it in 21 days to five, like 21 to five. That is crazy. Um, and, and a lot of that was determined on the response we get from the customers themselves. Best fit, right? Like best fit customers versus like having the most um, well thought out plan for implementation and onboarding. So um, I think like it really depends on the industry, but like the all hands approach, it really doesn't matter for us right now. I think also our ARR is a lot smaller right now because we're emerging high tech startup versus like a larger enterprise company. Um, but our TLC has not changed with um, the metrics that we're applying and then making sure that we keep that consistent. Um, and just balancing that out with making sure that we're not overbearing them, especially since we're talking to healthcare providers and they're already going through burnout. So I think it's finding the balance of that, but just if anybody else is finding that their metrics probably haven't changed, even with these conversations, I would encourage you to keep that, but maybe it's just the approach that's different versus changing the, the baseline of what you're trying to keep. That was a really cool nugget that you threw in there just about how you guys are trying to take it from 21 days down to five. Uh, I'm curious just to uh, dig into that just for one follow-up question is, 
like what did you guys identify or like how are you thinking about you know actually doing that from like a tactical perspective was it like how did you essentially think about removing the friction that you think is in there right now yeah um uh, and it's, it's kind of a good segue to the second um slide and question that we have about working with some of the sales goals um, that i always called that like the golden relationship and circle of trust like between sales and cs i love our sales guys um, and they're in like a really interesting position right now where uh, we also have like shiny object syndrome where we're like at the epitome of everything going on right now that it's like there's so many things we could do um, and, and that can be a little dangerous too but the 21 days that we had before was really based off of scheduling around go lives and physical traveling so that's like a really obvious first step to having reduced that the other part about that is we took a lot more ownership and authority over say some of the configuration things less customization because we know from best practice of like what our customers need just to get off the ground so um, in like the ideal unicorn scenario we plan that out and then had this proposal um, we talk about it in a lot more involved with the customers no matter their size before the contract signing like even more so than we would have in like the pre-coronavirus pandemic um, and then we just kind of use that as a proposal um, we also prioritize people who are recently onboarding versus ones we've had maybe for like three months, four months, because the engagement is different. The tactic is different. Um, so we're trying that out. We literally started it last week. So maybe at the next office hours, I'm happy to give an update of how it's going. But we've had, I think, four sales literally in the past, like four closes just based off of that in the past week, because everyone's just like, we need to double down and we need help from like a technology supportive standpoint in between these no longer face-to-face -face appointments. So um, yeah, I'll keep that in mind and then provide an update for the next week. Awesome. Yeah, that would be awesome. Can I just, can I just add, add to that, Jake? Sorry. Um, it's, it's, it's funny because what, what, what the last speaker that actually said, we went from 90 days on an average uh, uh, implementation down to five days. Now, that raises a, a lot of questions. <laughs> um, and I, but I, I think that um, it certainly raised a lot of questions for me. Come on, guys. How come we've been doing it an average of 90 days and now we managed <laughs> to get down to five or six? Um, so... Um, I, I look, it's it'd be fair to say that there's a, there's a real sense of urgency and that the business that we're in is in internal communications. Um, so we had a bunch of new customers come in who needed to rapidly get on, on board. One of, the, one of the main reasons why, and I'm sure we can all resonate with this, why we're able to speed that up was because their IT department allowed us to. In other words, that the customer's IT department were under severe pressure from the business. You know, let's not shortcut this in terms of security, but there was a real call, call to arms around that. But we also then decided to phase the typical onboarding. So we, we looked at how we actually, all the different stages we had. So what can we leave out? So what's the minimum viable implementation that, that we can go with? Now our product kind of lends itself to, to that. So let's strip out all the, all the stuff that you don't need. Let's just go with, you want to be able to send out an email to 50,000 employees by next Wednesday, right? Then let's just get the email. Let's do a manual upload of all those emails. And so let's not do the integration with Workday or with your HR system. So it's really just sort of rapidly, maybe unlearning all of the principles and everything else that, that we've built up over the years and how to get this perfect onboarding and implementation process. So I think at the moment, it, it was a degree of on, on learning. And the other point I just wanted to make around metrics is a time to recalibrate them for today's norm. So uh, what, what looked good in the norm, uh, two months ago might not look good now and vice versa. You know what I mean? So, so, I, so and the last thing I, I, point I wanted to make was we're now looking at our ability to forecast renewals as our top metric. In other words, if we look at some of the renewals that, that are being negotiated now, they were sent out 90 days ago, which was pre-crisis. Now we're now sending out the renewals for the next 90 days. 
So we're going to be forecasting our ability, um, I'm sorry, we're going to look at our ability to forecast each of those customers based upon their industry, whether they're directly affected by COVID or whether they're indirectly affected by COVID. And then keep on doing that month by month so we can see, well, you know, we are reading it right, we're reading it wrong, or we're seeing this industry maybe more affected than that industry. And this industry we didn't think would be so badly affected by COVID, but maybe it's stuck in a, in a supply chain of other industries. So that I just thought it was worth, worth sharing that um, you can probably achieve a lot of things in a time of crisis, but also to recalibrate your metrics and also to look at your ability to forecast the renewals going forward now. I don't know if anyone else is feeling the pain of that, but um, I this is my first time working for such a smaller company and I'm like, oh my God, I need to move up the CS software proposal and making sure we have implemented that. Um, just, you know, I, I'm sure everybody here has worked with everybody's internal tools, which is like an Excel sheet that's very well groomed and brought up from the past. Um, the, Peter, the other thing I was going to say is that working within healthcare in the tech space, there's also like the HIPAA security standpoint, which is like a very, it's like the iceberg Titanic thing to get through. Um, but just a sign to epitomize what you were saying also is that one of our largest hospital enterprise systems, their legal team who are like, it's a, it's a hospital legal team. They were, um, they basically like, I, I've just never seen that before where a legal team at a hospital was like, yes, let's remove this one barrier that we've been fighting with you on for a year just so that we can make sure patients get access. So if that's not a sign of like, uh, a symptom of the times right now. I don't know what is. And so um, thank you for sharing for that. That's the other piece I wanted to reiterate is that that wouldn't be possible without customers also meeting us where we are. Um, so that's like a really key piece to that. I would take advantage of that also. The thing, the thing that, that strikes me is that it, we're all doing, um, we're sort of jumping through hoops. We're segmenting our implementations and our onboarding. So we need to be really careful and track who's in maybe that partial state. So have you guys modified your systems to be able to track who's been given this accelerated implementation so that we can go back and maybe make sure that they're in good shape and we have a little breathing room. I can only imagine what Marco at Zoom is going through right now with regard to that and what's in the news and all that kind of stuff too. It's really challenging, I would imagine. Yeah, what we did was was that um, we uh, we broke it up into, into phases and um, not surprisingly one, two, and three. Um, the phase one was your M MVP, if you like, Phase two was when we might do the, the integration, which we know is always a complicated, more involved um, process. And the other part of our product is, is a lot of branding. And obviously in, in today's world, so the look and feel of, of the newsletter is not as critically important as it used to be. And so, so we've actually, we split the sales order for, for the new customers into those particular phases. So rather than pay X amount upfront or in, uh, as part of your implementation fee, that you, you, you break it down into, into different fees um, and different stages. So that's how we were, that's, you know, that's a very simplistic way, Jay, of, of obviously sort of keeping account of what you've put in and, what they're missing. Um, I do think that is there going to be, are we going to be doing anything right now that we might regret in maybe six months time when things go, go back to normal? Um, I'd like to think we wouldn't, but I'm sure there will be some surprises because we are working quite frantically. And obviously when you work at that pace, and this is the point you're making, I'm sure, is that with, you know, how are you trapping all of these things, all the things that you ordinarily wouldn't do? And so um, maybe I'll come back to you in six months time <laughs> and let you know what it was. Yeah. 
Interesting. Um, before we move off of the metrics topic, does anybody else have anything they want to add to, to how they've changed the way that they're looking at their metrics that will you know, sort of lead in the customer relationship side of things? Yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll share just because we're, we're in the healthcare industry. We do medical transportation um, for all Medicaid patients in the state of Connecticut. Gabriel from Bayo, sorry. Um, we had to completely shift, shift. Usually we would focus based on trip volume and complaints that would come in. And that's how we would prioritize what our top tier clients, what our second tier clients, third tier and so on. Com grievances and complaints have gone down com entirely almost uh, because people are just too busy. It seems to even if they're having grievances, uh, com share them. Um, and the trip volume has gone down significantly as you know, Jung and others would know behavioral health and mental health has gone to telehealth almost entirely. Um, so people aren't needing transportation, but there's critical treatment like dialysis and chemotherapy that still need transportation. Um, so our, our shift has been completely now towards what are the highest, and this is specific perhaps to our industry, but where's the highest places where COVID is increasing the most rapidly, which, which towns, which counties, um, this, and as soon as a case comes up, it shifts everything because we have to, we have to suspend drivers, we have to communicate with facilities. So I would say that in our realm of work, uh, we're 100% impacted by COVID-19 and not in that we, we have I would say it's the same amount of work, but it's more chaotic work because when something happens, we have to react quickly and immediately. And so I, I, I definitely feel a sense of what's being shared, especially by Peter, where like, okay, how are we tracking everything? And, and are we going to maybe, are we making the right decisions because we have to be uh, efficient and and react quickly in matter of time? We, we did stick to the touch point going a little way back, but personal touch is huge in our area you know people knowing that we we're taking care of our drivers that we, they, we we are communicating with them um and i agree with what marco was saying from zoom earlier which is over communicating has been our decision as well we want to make sure people are aware of our policies um but yeah in terms of tracking it's completely shifted in our industry where people are communicating only the necessary so it's um the previous kpis that we were using aren't as relevant right now um and yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting, challenging time for healthcare. So it's been a really insightful session for me. Thanks everyone else for sharing. Yeah, that, that's great. And, and I think the, the key message here is that if, if you're not rethinking those metrics, probably a good time to do that. Um, so this came up a little bit earlier as well, but just going down the list here, um, are other organizations utilizing their sales team with existing customers right now? Are you using your sales team to help drive some of those discussions and relationships with, with your current clients? Yeah, I, I can take this. This is Jessica and I work for a fintech company called Affirm. We help provide loans, pay over time um, across many verticals. And what's been interesting is actually the sales and CS team. Because our CS org is uh, compensated 20% based on actual loan volume that we produce, that we've been working even closer together. So if we were on a website.com, and we were also in store for a client. We all know everything is closed. How can we increase those sales and maybe lean into telesales or buy online, pick up in store? So we've actually been partnering pretty closely with our sales counterparts to get creative, to help each other, and then opening our networks and seeing where we can help. That's great, Jessica. Are, are, have, have you changed the metrics that the sales team or the CS team is being compensated based on? We are in talks of changing that. Um, for Q1, our CS team is actually doing fairly well because our initiatives were already in play and best practices. The sales is definitely, um, you know, hitting a wall in some sense, but it's also creating urgency in certain sectors. So we're diversified. Travel is obviously at a pause, but home and lifestyle is people are spending more time 
and Peloton as a client or Mirror Tonal clients, we're doubling down and repivoting the teams, but we haven't changed the metrics, but that's in conversation. This is Chrissy again. I just had a quick question kind of coming off that, maybe this for the broader group, but have, have leaders, have you guys adjusted your Q2 targets for your teams or have you seen your sales targets adjusted as we go into the next quarter? I don't know how many of you are on the, the January 1st or the February 1st start time, but if it's January 1st, we're in Q2 now. I know that for our team, we adjusted our retention rates um, we, we comp the team on logo retention as well as net revenue retention. So we've adjusted our percentage targets for everyone on our team to make them feel more realistic and attainable, given that we are, as a company, creating a policy that allows customers to break contract of a certain size. Um, we can't hold CSMs accountable if those customers decide to execute on that, which is made available. So we've adjusted targets. I'd just be curious to see how many other folks or hear from others if your organization is adjusting all of their targets to help your employees. So, Christy, um, my name is Jim Jones. I'm in Chicago. I work for a company called ISI, and um, we're not adjusting our uh, renewal targets. Um, mm -hmm. we're, we're trying to really hold the line on it. The good thing about our software is, so we, we do reporting for um, telecom uh, solutions, like reporting on top of Cisco or Ring Central or, you know, what have you. Um, so we're, we're pretty sticky once we get in there because we help um, call center directors and things like that uh, measure quality of service, which is super, super important in a time like this. Yes. Um, now, what we are finding that we're have to, having to adjust and we're having some you know, robust internal conversations about it, um, you know, would be things, <clears throat> excuse me, would be things like um, what the new sales projections are, are gonna be. Yeah. Um, so, um, and, and I wanna tie back to the initial question and Jay, what, what you brought up, but, um, our CSMs um, are having good results. Uh, we we did 104% uh, of uh, quota in Q1. The the new logo team didn't. They sell through channels, and so we get brought in at the you know kind of the midpoint of a like a large call center product project. Um, so it's kind of easy to strip out costs and say, well, we're not going to go with the reporting right now. Whereas it's much easier to sell into existing customers. So. I'm, I'm sorry, the, the, the lady from a firm, I don't remember your name, but you were talking about you're seeing more cooperation between the, the, the new sellers and the CSMs. Um, honestly, I'm, I'm seeing it just the opposite and it's turning into a food fight uh, internally because the CSMs still have good projections for cross and upsell within existing customers. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the channel business has just hit the wall and the channel team's going, well, we're the professional sellers, let us help those guys out. It's like, yeah, no, I don't, you know, and it's just like, <laughs> Guys, you know we're we're all playing on the same team, and if you're if you're arguing about you know who's going to row on one side of the boat as the boat's heading for the waterfall, you're you're going to go over it. Yeah. So Jim, that's a that's a huge yeah. concern for us. If I can for respond, I, I've seen so. My name's Jessica. Um, that uh, what I've seen is how the reporting structure is, which I know is hard to do overnight. But we have a chief commercial officer who sales and CS reports into. I've seen that fight when you have two separate you know reporting structure and your KPIs. So. Yeah. You can hopefully yeah. align, but everybody needs to write, you said, row together in order to survive yeah. this. So. We'll see. We'll see. But thanks, Jessica. Yeah. Hey, everybody. This is Jeremy with White Hat. I, I contributed a little bit to the call last week, but to this particular question, how my previous employer did it and how my current employer does it is we actually tie both CS and sales compensation to all revenue, uh, regardless of its renewal, upsell, um, new business, everything. Um, because it, there's the goal is to essentially put both people 
with equal amount of investment into the relationship. Um, so it allows customer success to be less quote unquote salesy um, and, and pass some of that ownership over to the, the sales team, but also gives an investment to the sales reps to want to be involved in an, uh, the relationship with an existing customer because they are getting paid on renewals, just like uh, yep. they might be being paid a little bit less, um, but they are getting paid on renewals and vice versa. Customer success managers are getting paid on upsells and growth within the account, but it's less than the sales rep. So it, it's kind of a, um, that's the way that it's worked out really well. And since, uh, since kind of the kind of global economic downturn that we've been going through, I have noticed sales reps wanting to be more involved in the growth side of things within existing customers because net new is not as strong currently right now, but um, generally speaking, um, and, and how I, I, my expectation on my sales reps are, um, it, if you want me to champion, help championing, championing you in my accounts, and you need to be an active participant um, in my relationship with these people. Um, and that's, that's actually worked out really well so far. How many, how many uh, customers uh, in average in a CSM portfolio? Uh, so we actually segment it by uh, major or strategic accounts, uh, which is usually no more than 10. Um, and then we have enterprise, which is usually 25 to 35. Um, then down, basically down from there to like we were talking about a tech touch model, which is, is kind of really just um, a lot of automated messaging and things, which somebody could manage 150 accounts. Um, with, because, uh, I, because I think that uh, doing, doing that, uh, I think it's prioritizing revenue over value. So if there is a smaller customer that uh, not necessarily will generate revenue for your company in the next uh, three, six, nine months, then the customer success manager will not prioritize value to that customer. They will prioritize value to the customer that can generate revenue for them and the sales rep. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. We, uh, we, we actually don't segment customers based on the revenue that they spend with us though. Um, that's not, we don't, we don't just no, because but, the customer but, spends but, a million dollars but, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to get segmented differently than somebody who, but, um, but the incentive is, uh, but the incentive is on revenue. As of today it is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's an interesting topic that, that we should dig into. We're all, we're running out of time now and I hate that because that was about to be really good. But like that is a really interesting topic. Like at what point do we focus on relationship and value across the board no matter how much money you pay or how much growth opportunity you have versus the the growth and expansion within our accounts. Um, so super interesting topic. We should definitely add that to the list for next week because I think that some sparks may fly relative to that. Yeah, I, I, think, I think we need to remember that uh, uh, a lot of our customers, uh, our current customers, uh, that are now not in a great shape, they will actually, uh, they will actually be the most important customers for our 2021 and 2022. Right, and, and we, we need to buy anything today, is your point. Yeah, no, I'm, and I'm saying that the investments we will do for them today uh, we'll make sure that we are their vendor in, in a year or two and they are not going to the competitors. Okay. I don't, I don't want to cut it off too soon, but as you guys know, we try to keep these things on time just so everybody can, uh, we can respect everybody's calendar. So a couple of things, uh, client success, success hacker. And then we, Jeff and I, and the Alex and the team at customer imperative have a, we're, we're trying to do what we can to help surface job opportunities, particularly for CSM people. So, uh, or for CS people in general. So we're going to include some of those resources in the notes that we send out after this. Uh, please publish your jobs and, and, um, and communicate broadly about those if you have the opportunity. 
Um, again, thank you guys. Thank you to Slido for, for providing their technology for us. Thank you to Zoom, you know, for, for keeping this thing up and running so we could have such a big group on a call. But uh, it's great to see everybody's faces again. Um, hope, hope to see you next week. And uh, until then, you know, be well. Take care of yourselves and your family and, and your customers, and we'll, we'll talk soon.